We're going to have a test today, so I hope you studied the materials beforehand. And, and I want you to kind of, not out loud, it's not, not going to embarrass anybody by having to answer out loud, but I want you to answer to yourself what, what these signs are, what is the importance of these signs. What happens if we ignore these signs? I mean, if someone sees one with a skull and crossbones that says toxic hazard on a cup and they pick it up and drink the contents in it, what's going to happen to them? How, how's their life going to go from that moment on? Or they see one with electrical hazard and they begin to reach out and grab all the wires hanging down from there. Or they drive, continue to try to cross the bridge no matter how fast they go if the bridge is out. All, all of those are warning signs. And, and they warn of extreme danger, many um, severe pain, severe hurt, some death. If we are to violate these signs, we would be foolish to ignore them. If we were to see them on something we were about to do, we would be foolish to ignore those signs and continue to, to go in violation of what they had said. Similarly, certain signs can be warning in our lives to let us know things are not right in our hearts. Our hearts are not as they should be in relation to Jesus. Now, any number of things could be wrong in our hearts. Our hearts could be hardening toward God, toward the things of God. Our hearts could be impure uh, because of things we have let in there. Our hearts could be straying from Jesus. And there are warning signs, things that we can look at, and these would be objective signs just like this, and they, they flash and they declare to us something is not right. Something in your heart is not as it should be. And when these warning signs flash in our life, we would be foolish to ignore them. We ignore them to our own detriment. We ignore them to our own damage. We ignore them in a way that would be so, so dumb of us to do. So I want us to see what these warning signs are. Open your Bible to Mark 7. And when you find that, I'm going to stand on the reading of God's Word. It should be page 767 if you have a pew Bible. I'm going to read the first 23 verses. Mark 7 and 1. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered to Jesus after they came from Jerusalem and saw that some of his disciples were eating bread with unholy hands. That is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all of the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thereby holding firmly to the tradition of the elders. When they come in from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they completely cleanse themselves. There are many other things which they have received as traditions to firmly hold, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk in accordance with the tradition of the elders? But eat their bread with unholy hands. But he said to them, rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And the one who speaks evil of father or mother is certainly to be put to death. But you say, well, if a person says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you as Corban, that is given to God, you no longer have to, you no longer allow him to do anything for his father or mother, thereby invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down 
And you do many such things as this. After he called the crowds to him again, he began to say to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which come out of a person are what defile the person. And when he later entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding as well? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the person from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thereby he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which comes out of the person, that is what defiles the person. For from within, out of the hearts of people, come evil thoughts, acts of sexual immorality, thefts, murders, acts of adultery, deeds of greed, wickedness, deceit, indecent behavior, envy, slander, pride, And foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the person. Title of the message this morning is Warning Signs of Heart Problems or Heart Troubles. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, we thank you for your word which guides us. Lord, as we just have read this passage, we know that many of the things Jesus rebukes in in this passage, they are so common in our culture. And Lord, if it were not for your word and your spirit, we would have no real idea that these things are bad or wrong or that they revealed anything about our heart. But because Jesus has spoken to this and because Mark has written it down, we have a record. We have the words of Christ to speak to us, and to show us things that could be wrong in our hearts and in our lives. But Father, our flesh is not going to like What Jesus calls, what I'm calling these warning signs, these things Jesus rebukes, because our flesh likes to do these things. Though the world at large is not going to to like what Jesus rebukes in this passage, because the world at large says these things are all good and fine. Although the world at large and our flesh is not the standard, but Jesus is. So today we, we come in this moment and we surrender this time to you. And we ask for your Holy Spirit to come and make the word living and active in our hearts and in our lives. Father, let your Holy Spirit take the word and and, and flash the warning signs of heart problems if they're there. Lord, where our hearts are not right with you, let your Holy Spirit press upon us and make it clear. Oh God, make it clear it is you pressing upon us. So that even if we reject the pressing, even if we reject the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we would have to be honest at least to ourselves and say, I reject what Jesus has said. I reject the work of God in my life. Oh, God, have your way. Begin the work in me. Thank you for the work you've already done in me as I have studied and prepared this passage. Continue the work. Lord, I am certainly... Not one who has arrived. Forgive me for my failures. Forgive me when my heart has strayed and my heart has hardened and I have allowed it or caused it. Have your way in all of us today. Glorify yourself in this time, we ask in the mighty name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. So at this point in Jesus' ministry, he is really, really popular with the people and really, really unpopular with the religious leaders. 
He has performed some impressive miracles. He has encouraged tax collectors and sinners by telling them the kingdom of God is for them and they can be a part of it, that God loves them and they and he wants them to he wants to know them and them to know him. He has taught about God in a very different way from the religious leaders. This caused the people to like him and the Pharisees and the religious leaders to despise him. The Pharisees and the religious leaders are desperate to discredit Jesus. And so they, they commission what I would call a truth squad. And what they're going to do is they're going to follow Jesus around. They're going to watch everything he does and everything he says. And their goal is to find something wrong. That's all they're going to do. Right? They're not going to watch to see if he's the Messiah. They're not going to watch to see if he does anything right. They're going to watch and they're going to judge every little thing he does in the worst possible way. So they can say, aha! Here's what he said. Here's what he did. I told you this guy's really not from God. This is their sole job in life. And as they follow Jesus and as they gather around him, they find their aha moment. His disciples eat bread with unholy hands. This is it. This is the transgression that has gotten Jesus and his disciples, they eat with unholy hands. But Jesus, not one who is easily gotten, turns the table on them. And he begins to have his own ha-ha moment on them. And as he turns the tables on them, he gives us and them a series of warning signs revealing spiritual heart problems. And as we'll see as we go through here, these spiritual heart problems are all revealed in our lives and how we live and what we do on a daily basis. So our key truth today is the actions of our lives reveal the condition of our hearts. Now, again, this is significant because in our culture, we often want to act as though our actions really don't mean a whole lot. But I can say I'm a deeply devoted disciple of Jesus and no matter how I live, my life says nothing. It's my confession that matters. Not so according to the Lord. Our confession with our mouths is not worthless or is worthless unless it's backed up with our lives. The actions of our lives reveal the condition of our heart. Every action we take reveals something about the condition of our hearts. Every reaction to stressors we take says something about the condition of our hearts. Every word we speak says something about the condition of our hearts. Every priority of our lives says something about the condition of our hearts. Every thought we think, even if we never verbally express it, says something about the condition of our hearts. Our lives are constantly talking to us. And they are revealing to us the condition of our hearts. And we must listen. If there are warning signs of heart problems, we must take them seriously. Jesus, in this passage, gives us four broad categories of warning signs of heart problems. Warning sign number one, legalism. Now, the Pharisees were very legalistic and self-righteous. They thought being a good Jew meant you had to be just like them. 
But not only did the Pharisees think that, the people thought that. The people kind of thought the Pharisees were the best of the best. That's what a Jew strove to attain to, was to be half as good as your average, everyday Pharisee. So the Pharisees are upset with Jesus' disciples because they violated one of the traditions of the elders. And according to this tradition, you had to wash your hands before you ate. Particularly if you had been out and about, say, at the marketplace. The reason was when you had been out and about in the marketplace handling this and handling that, you may have accidentally touched something that was unclean. And so you touched the unclean thing, you ate the food, you took it into your mouth, and you made yourselves unclean. So to prevent this from happening, you, you washed your hands. Now, washing your hands after you go to Walmart and touch the stuff in the cart in there before you handle food that you put in your mouth, it's not a bad idea. My mom taught me to do the exact same thing. But they placed such an emphasis on this tradition, they considered not washing your hands before you ate a sin. Notice the language that they washed with unholy hands. That's how they described it. So it wasn't just, this is a good idea to wash your hands before you eat. It was the law. And if you don't wash your hands before you eat, you sin against God. They are, in verses 1 and 2, they are accusing the apostles, the disciples of Jesus, of not being law-abiding Jews. Now, the problem with this is this was not God's law. This was oral tradition handed down through the years. It was man's tradition, not God's law. Now, tradition in and of itself is not wrong. Tradition is not good nor bad. It is morally neutral. There is nothing inherently wrong with having tradition. A tradition is essentially no difference than a preference. It's what we have always done. And we like doing it this way. And there's nothing wrong with having traditions and preferences. We all have them. The danger, the problem, the heart issue comes when we begin to look down on those who have different traditions or different preferences than we have. And if we're not careful, we can become like the Pharisees and start thinking people aren't disciples of Jesus because they don't hold to the same traditions we hold to. They don't have the same preferences we have. This is the essence of legalism. Now, I do want to be careful here. Lest we come to the faulty conclusion. It is not legalistic to say God's word says this and so you must do this. It's not legalistic to say God's word says don't do this so you can't do that. Being a disciple of Jesus does mean we ought to be obedient to God's word. The Bible even says the one who says I have come to know him and does not keep in commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Now, that's not me. I didn't say that. The Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, if someone claims to know Jesus and isn't obedient to the words of Jesus, he he doesn't say, now notice, John's words, not mine. John doesn't say that person isn't living as they ought to. That's not what he says, is it? He didn't say they're saved, but they're they're not quiet as they should be. That's not what he says. He says they're a liar. What are they lying about? Coming to know Jesus. And the truth is not in them. Now what's the truth in God's word? Well, Jesus is the truth. The spirit is the truth. And God's word is the truth. So if the truth is not in them, that means the word is not in them. The spirit is not in them. And Jesus is not in them. So can somebody who says they know Jesus, but doesn't keep his commandments, can they even be said to be Christians at all? Not according to John. 
Now again, that's not that's not my I didn't say that. That's what the Apostle John says. So we're not saying traditions or legalism or preferences are taking what the Bible says you shall and you shall not do and say you have to do these things because the Bible says it. That's not legalism. Legalism is an entirely different animal. Legalism holds up man-made traditions or man-made preferences as the standard and says, if you don't follow this tradition, if you don't have this preference, you really aren't saved. Legalism elevates man's traditions and man's standards to the level of God's Word. And as we'll see in a few minutes, it not only elevates it often to the level of God's Word, it begins to elevate itself over God's Word. Legalists are not those who believe obedience to God's work or to God's word is a critical part of being a redeemed disciple of Jesus. Legalists are those who elevate their preferences and their tradition to the level of God's word and condemn anyone who doesn't follow these traditions. Therefore, we must understand the difference between a biblical principle and a personal preference. A biblical principle is rooted in. In what God's word clearly, plainly says. A tradition is just something we've always done. A preference is just something I prefer. Now, again, doing what we've always done isn't necessarily wrong. We have service at 1050 every Sunday. Not because the Bible says at 1050 to gather into the church and sing songs and have a sermon. But because that's how we've always done it. There's nothing wrong with having service at 1050. But if we move service to 1130, there wouldn't be anything wrong with that either. Because the Bible doesn't say it can't be at 1130. See what I'm saying? Tradition is what we've always done. A preference is what I like. Many would say, hey, I would like to have service at 1130. Others would say, I really like to always have it at 1050. Who's wrong? Nobody. Because it's a preference. But that's not legalism. Until we begin to say, the really sanctified churches, they meet at 1050. Those who meet at 1030, heretical. Those who meet at 11, they're legalistic. Only those of us who meet at 1050 truly love the Lord our God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is legalism. We have to understand the difference. Every road has two ditches. One ditch is legalism. And if we are in this ditch, we are so convinced we are right about everything. Down to our traditions and our preferences, we look down on anyone and everyone who does not have the same traditions and preferences we have. The other ditch is liberalism. If we are in this ditch... Absolute standards of right and wrong really don't matter. So long as we feel good about what we're doing, that's okay. That's all that matters. God's word is never taken into consideration about how we should live. Which ditch is better? Which ditch is worse? I've driven in ditches in my car before, and here's what I know. The ditch on the right and the ditch on the left are both detrimental to your car. It's not better to be liberal than it is to be legalistic. And it's not better to be legalistic than it is to be liberal. Both are spiritually 
and soul-destructive. As free will Baptists, we are very theologically conservative. So as free will Baptists, we have... We've at one point we even had a commission called the Commission Against Theological Liberalism. We take doctrine seriously as free will Baptists. We believe God's word is true and it is the standard, and we are unapologetic about that. And so we have spent time arguing against liberalism, pushing back the darkness of liberalism. Unfortunately, what we haven't done is spent nearly as much time pushing back the darkness of legalism, seeing that legalism is just as dangerous, just as destructive as liberalism. One is not better than the other. We don't want to see this one and react by going over here, and we don't want to see this one and react by going over here. We want to be where God's Word is. And if that means those on the left call us legalistic and those on the right call us liberal, So be it. I don't need their approval anyway. I'm looking for well done, thou good and faithful servant from my Lord. So we stand where God's word stands. Let the chips fall on the left and the right how they may. Now, verses three through three and five. These are called the traditions of the elders. New Living Translation calls it the age old traditions. The idea is they had done these things for a very, very long time. The takeaway with this warning is just because we've done something a really long time doesn't mean it's biblical. Now, again, that doesn't mean it's unbiblical. It just means we cannot confuse what we've always done with what the Bible commands. Those are not necessarily the same thing. And if we're not careful, we can become Pharisees who... Think for someone to be a devoted disciple of Jesus, they have to hold to the same age-old traditions we hold to. If it was good enough for granny, it's good enough for these people today. And if they're not holding to that, they're not holy. They, They have unholy hands. That is legalism. This attitude of legalism, it reveals our hearts are not right with Jesus. Now, again, I want to state that again. Legalism reveals our hearts are not right with Jesus. Legalism does not reveal a passion for God's truth. Legalism does not reveal a zeal for Jesus. Legalism reveals our hearts are not right with the Lord. Legalism, a sinful attitude that looks down upon others because they do not hold our traditions and our preferences is a sinful attitude. And it springs from a legalistic heart. And legalism pushes us away from Jesus just as surely as liberalism does. Liberalism will essentially say you don't need Jesus because you just do your own thing and everybody's okay. Here's what happens with legalism. Legalism says you do your do's and you don't do your don'ts and you're good to go. Well, if I do all my do's and I don't do all my don'ts, what do I need Jesus for? And that's what begins to happen. I trust more in myself and in my own goodness and in my own actions and less and less in Jesus. And thus legalism pushes us as far away from Jesus as liberalism does. The actions of our life reveal the condition of our hearts. And legalism in our lives 
reveals our hearts are not right with Jesus. The second warning sign is hypocrisy. In verse 6, Jesus calls the religious leaders hypocrites. Now, initially, prior to the Gospels, hypocrite did not have a negative connotation. Hypocrite was simply an actor who was playing a part on stage. Uh, literally, they wore, they wore masks. And one actor might play multiple parts. And in order to, to play the part, they wore a mask here. And they were this person. And then they would stand there and they would take that mask off and grab another mask and be here. And they would be a whole different person. That was a hypocrite. They were an actor. Well, a hypocrite, when it comes to God's Word, is, is an actor. It's still someone who puts on a mask and pretends to be somebody else, but it's not on a stage to entertain people. Instead, what they're pretending to be are people devoted to God. Right? That's what we see here. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, are coming at the apostles because they're not keeping the tradition of the elders. Jesus calls them, and they're doing it under the guise of, we're zealous for the Lord our God. We're zealous for the law of our God. But they're not. Not really. It's a pretending to be. And so Jesus calls them hypocrites for putting on a show, putting on a mask of being these righteous and devoted disciples of the Lord our God when they were really something entirely different. Now, let, let me take a kind of a rabbit trail here and say I've heard it said many times that we are all hypocrites in one way or another. The reason for this, they say, is because in one way or another, we all fail to live up to the standards we profess to hold, which I agree. We, we do. Prof we do fail to hold up to the, live up to the standards we profess. However, that does not make us hypocrites. And here's why a hypocrite doesn't try to keep a standard and fall short. A hypocrite really doesn't try to keep the standard. They just want you to think they're keeping the standard. They're just putting on a show for the world so that they will think they keep a standard. Meanwhile, in their heart and in their lives, they do not do that. So this morning, before we get really into the hypocrites, if you strive to live for Jesus in your heart, you live for Him and you want to do His will, but you fail, you're probably not a hypocrite. On the other hand, if you really don't actually try to live for Jesus, you just want to make sure other people think you live for Jesus, you probably are a hypocrite and should listen very carefully to what we're about to talk about. The reason is, Jesus had no patience for hypocrites. Right? It wasn't an okay thing in his mind for someone to pretend to be his disciple. When you look at the Gospels, Jesus deals with tax collectors and prostitutes and the worst sort of sinners with love and compassion and patience. And then he deals with hypocrites by saying things like, How will you escape the fires of hell? He has no, no patience whatsoever for the hypocrite and holds out that a hypocrite is not saved. That is the words of Christ. He does not assume that a hypocrite is a Christian just not living as they should. They're not a Christian, but they're pretending to live like one. Now, for them, notice in verse 6, they honored God with their lips. Their heart was far from Him. They played the part 
of being a devoted disciple of Jesus. Now, this pretend is seen in in multiple ways. It's seen that their their worship of him is vain and they teach his doctrines, the commandments of men. Now, that's an important phrase also. It goes back to the idea of traditions of the elders. The idea of doctrine is this comes from God's word. Tradition, the commandments of men, though, is the tradition of the elders. So what did they do? They worshipped God in a way that was not pleasing to God. And then they said, here's a tradition of the elder. This is God's commandment. You had better keep it. Right? They, they did it. And so what happens is, when you have traditions and you hold to them this tightly, at some point, your traditions conflict with what God has actually said. So what happens then? What happens when the traditions of the elders conflicts with the actual word of God? Look at verse 8. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. Right? So their teaching was hypocritical because they taught the commandment of men as if it were the law of God. And when the commandment of men contradicted the law of God, they went with the tradition of man. They were experts at setting aside the commandment in order to keep their tradition. And we'll talk about how they did that in just a second. Look down at verse 13. They invalidated the word of God by their tradition. Uh, This is why hypocrisy is so bad, why legalism is so bad. In hypocrisy and legalism, you elevate your traditions, your actions over the word of God. And by doing that, you invalidate God's word. You empty God's word of its power. And the question could arise, though, but if God's word has inherent power because it is the word of God, how does how does hypocrisy by keeping traditions instead of God's word, how does that empty God's word of its power? It's because the people recognize what's going on. They recognize that one, the Pharisees are saying one thing and they're doing another. And they also recognize that God's word says this, but the traditions of man say this. And we're doing the traditions of man rather than the word of God. And they begin to see. And what happens when they see this is what the religious leaders are doing is they begin to minimize the importance of God's word in their own lives. Wait, the people say, wait, they don't do what the Bible says. They do whatever they want to do. They pretend. So I can do that as well. Yes, I love God, and, and they, I'll say all of this, but I'll do something else, because that's what the religious leaders do. That must be okay. And if a tradition violates God's word or contradicts it, I'll stick with the tradition. So this is what I've always done. And so since this is what I've always done, even if it goes against God's word, I mean, my family has done this, my parents did this, my grandparents did this, I, I can do this as well rather than God's word. And, and it causes God's word to not be the authority. It's the authority so long as it's not inconvenient. So long as it doesn't contradict my preferences or my traditions. And I'm not going to spend much time here, but I just want to kind of throw this out. Is it possible? Part of the reason so many people in America have lost respect for God's word. Is it possible the reason for this is because of how often... Disciples of Jesus have hypocritically elevated traditions over God's word. Is it possible 
They don't value God's word because often what they've seen in the church is we don't value God's word. I, again, I don't have time this morning to get into that, but that is certainly a thought to think about. The actions of our lives reveal the condition of our hearts. And hypocrisy in our lives reveals our hearts are not right with Jesus. Third warning sign is selfishness. So Jesus calls them on how their tradition is elevated over God's word. And it's because of selfishness. Verses 9 through 13. God's law, verse 10, called for them to honor their father and their mother. Beyond that, God's law called for them to, as their parents got older, they were to take care of them. And they were to provide for them, particularly the, the widows, as they were not able to take care of themselves. Well, that can be costly, I guess, uh, to take care of them, to provide for them, to give them a place to live, to feed them, to clothe them, to to do all of that. So the religious leaders noticed as they give that money away, less is coming to us. So they came up with a plan. And what they said was, if you want to keep all your money to yourself and not help your parents out, you say, I have devoted my wealth, my inheritance to the Lord. And then you get to keep using it. However you want to. You just can't give it to anybody but us. You can't give alms to the poor. You can't help out your neighbor. You can give to the temple. You can give to us. But the rest of it you keep for yourself. And the people said, I like that idea. So they called it Corbin was the name for it. So when parents got older and it began to be costly, families would corbin their money. And then when a parent was in need, they would say, hey, I, you know, I need some help with this. They would say, oh, gosh, mom and dad, I'd love to help you. All my money is devoted to God. And I just I'm not able to give it. It's the Lord's money. And I can't use it to help you. And it was all. Selfishness. That's what it was. The religious leaders self, the religious leaders were the ones who wanted this more than anyone. But they wanted to make sure they could get everyone's money as much as possible. And then they wanted to make sure they could spend their money on themselves without having to give to someone else without being considered unrighteous as a Jew. This is selfishness. So why is selfishness, which is so common in our culture, dangerous enough to be considered a heart problem? Because when we're selfish, we seek our own interests and not the interests of Christ. Right. When we are selfish, what we want is most important, not what Jesus wants. That's what it was here. God, God wanted them to give to their parents. God wanted them to be generous and to help. But they chose otherwise. They didn't care about the interest of God. They cared about the interest of themselves. And when we are selfish, that's what we do. We are concerned about ourselves, our wills, our wants. What we want is most important, even over what Jesus wants. We put our wants over God's wants, which is what the Pharisees did. Now, this type of selfishness is opposite what God teaches disciples of Jesus ought to be like. Selfishness and the world teaches us to look out for number one. 
God's word says we are to put others ahead of ourselves, Philippians 2 and 3. But selfishness is not confined merely to financial things. We can be selfish with our time. We can be selfish with our stuff. We can be selfish with our families. We can really be selfish with anything. The main root of selfishness is what we want is all that really matters. To the selfish person, they are the most important person in the world. They only care about seeking their own. Even if they help another, it is for selfish means and for selfish (coughs) gain. And when we are selfish, we are very unlike the Jesus who died for us. Who did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus went to the cross willingly because he saw our great need and he chose to do something about it. Our Lord was selfless. He was not selfish. And if we are to be Christ-like, then we must be selfless and not selfish. If we are to be disciples of Jesus and we are to live for Jesus, we cannot live first and foremost for ourselves. We are to be disciples of Jesus who live for Jesus. We cannot be the centers of our universe. If we are disciples of Jesus who live for Jesus, we must put at a minimum, we must put his wants for our lives and all things over our wants for our lives and all things. If in our hearts we secretly believe the world revolves around us, in our hearts we secretly believe we are the most important person we know make no mistake we are selfish and that is a warning sign of a heart problem the actions of our lives reveal the condition of our hearts and selfish actions in our lives reveal our hearts are not right with Jesus and then finally the warning sign that we would think of that would have been first is sin. Jesus is still connected to the idea of not washing your hands and He tells them in verse 14, listen to me, all of you, and understand, nothing outside a person can defile him that goes into him. The things which come out of a person are what defile him. Later when He entered the crowd, uh, entered the house away from the crowd, His disciples said, "What about what? tell us about this parable. So are you so lacking in understanding? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the person from outside cannot defile him because it goes into his heart, in his stomach, and is eliminated? Right? So defile there doesn't mean like make sick. <laughs> He's not saying you can eat anything you want to as a Christian and then you won't get sick because there's not something wrong with it. No, you will get food poisoning if you eat the wrong things. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about defiling by sin. He's saying as that, that nothing we eat, we take it, Even if we go to Walmart and we touch everything in there and then we go home and we eat something, that putting it in our mouth because we've touched things that sinners had touched, touched unclean things, and we put it in our mouth, that doesn't make us unclean, spiritually unclean to God. That's the point he's making. Rather, he says, defilement doesn't come from without. Right. So no matter what we eat, we don't defile ourselves. We don't spiritually defile ourselves. Rather, defilement, rather than coming from without, defilement comes from within. Look at verse 20. 
that which comes out of the person, that is what defiles him. And then he begins to list a series of sins that come from the heart and defile those who do them. So let's take a minute and just quickly go through these evil thoughts. The Greek word for evil is also translated as grievous, harmful, malicious, and lewd. So evil, grievous, harmful, malicious, and lewd thoughts defile us, even if we never act on those thoughts. Sexual immorality. This is any sexual activity outside the bounds of a heterosexual marriage. Theft. To take, to cheat or to steal or to wrongfully take from another person what is not ours. Murder. Murder is to wrongfully take the life of another. But if we go to the Sermon on the Mount and we look at the words of Jesus, we find anger can be as sinful as murder in Matthew 5, 21 and 22. Unjustified anger. An anger that causes me to treat someone with contempt. Our ways anger defiles us just as murder defiles us. Adultery. Adultery is being sexually unfaithful to your spouse. But again... In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 27 and 28, Jesus defines having lustful thoughts about someone other than your spouse as mental adultery. So someone may never physically cheat on their spouse. But if they think lustful thoughts about someone who is not their spouse, they have cheated on them with their minds. And so they are defiled. Deeds of greed. The word for greed is basically means a consuming desire to have more. The word could be used to describe more than the desire for money. Could be the desire for fame, the desire for wealth, could be the desire for power, could be the desire for sex, could be the desire for promotion, could be the desire for a, a car or some sort of object. It could be anything. Anything we begin to say, I, I want that and the desire for that consumes our lives is greed. Wickedness. The word wickedness seems to focus mostly on doing harmful things to others. So it is malice and hatred and in doing harmful things to others. Deceit is to bait someone to lead them into a trap. It's not just a lie. It is the kind of lie that misleads someone and influences them to do something. Right? So if I'm... If I tell someone, hey, you can do this, there's not going to be any consequences, blah, blah, blah. I'm baiting a trap for them. That is that sort of deceit. I lead them into doing something that is harmful to them or sinful. Indecent behavior. The phrase indecent behavior seems to be a general word to describe all sorts of depravity. It particularly covers moral uncleanness. But and this is interesting. It's not just the moral uncleanness itself. It is the attitude about the depravity, about the moral uncleanness. A, an indecent person or a lewd person, depending on your translation, not only acts in sinful, morally unclean ways, but they are not ashamed of their moral uncleanness. They are not ashamed of their sinful acts. As Isaiah would say, they do not blush over their sins any longer. Envy. Many translations say an evil eye here. 
which I prefer just because I think that sounds funny. An evil eye is lusting for something that you don't have. It, it, the idea seems to be of covetousness and jealousy. It wants what it doesn't have, but again, this is the key to it. It looks down or it, it's not fond of those who have what they want. Those with an evil eye not only want what you have, they'd rather hate you because you have it and they don't. It's more than just saying, well, that's a nice car. I wish I had one. It's saying, wow, that's a nice car. makes me angry that they have one and I don't. I hope they have a wreck. I hope it gets stolen. I hope somebody keys it. Right? That's an evil eye. Slander. Slander is doing harm to another person's reputation by spreading gossip, lies, or rumor about them. Pride is self-exaltation, conceit, or arrogance causing ourselves, causing us to consider ourselves better than other people. And then foolishness. This one, this one's really important, I think, for our day. One of the ideas of foolishness is thoughtlessness. Someone who speaks without thinking is foolish. Someone who acts without thinking is foolish. Someone who doesn't consider the possible consequences of their actions is foolish. A person who is thoughtless regarding their morals, their duties, and their behavior is foolish. I mean, if there is one thing that characterizes our culture today, it is thoughtlessness. It is foolishness. And it is defiling. It shows something is wrong with that person's heart. Now, one thing to notice before we move on. There are no levels given of these are more important, these are less important. These are really defiling. These are only sort of defiling. These are just not best. Foolishness is as defiling as murder. Someone who hates someone has something wrong in their heart just as surely as someone who continually steals from others. If these things are in our lives, any of them, our hearts are not right with Jesus. And the culture would tell us, this is just how you live, this is just who you are. But notice what Jesus says in verse 23. All these, what does He call them? Evil things. Come from within and defile the person. In verse 21, from within, out of the heart. So these actions are not just, well, this is just how you live. These are revelations of the condition of our heart. Every one of these actions Every desire for one of these actions, every thought about one of these actions reveals the condition of our hearts. The actions of our lives reveal the conditions of our hearts and sin reveals our hearts are not right with Jesus. And all the things we talked about today, legalism, hypocrisy, selfishness and sin, they're bad. Here's what I want you to know. They're not the main problem. They are symptoms of the real problem. The real problem is what they reveal about the condition of our heart. 
legalism, hypocrisy, selfishness, sin are merely the overflow of our hearts. And so if our lives, we have actions of legalism, hypocrisy, selfishness, and sin, then the warning lights about heart problems are going off right now in our lives. And we must take the warning signs seriously. Now the answer to this though is not try harder. Do better. Trying harder and doing better just makes us more legalistic, more hypocritical, more selfish and more sinful. The reason is we can't do better. We can't fix our hearts. The human heart is unfixable by the human himself. You can't fix your heart. I can't fix your heart. I can't fix my heart. You can't fix my heart. What we need is God to do a work in our hearts to cleanse us and to change us. We must pray as David prayed. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I'm not ending the message today by saying, do better. I'm saying, seek God. One place in the book of Amos. People have sinned and God calls on them to repent of their sins and to turn back to Him. And then, in what seems to be an obvious statement, He tells them to seek Him and live. He tells them not to seek Bethel, not to seek Gilgal, not to seek anything else. Seek Him and live. I wrote in my journal... When we slide back in our relationship with God, the only way to fix it is to seek the Lord. There is nothing else or no one else that we can go to to be restored. That's a good word for us today. If God's word has set off warning lights in your heart, warning lights about your heart, seek him. Listen, again, that sounds obvious. But in our culture, with all that we have access to, the temptation is going to be to go home, get on you version, and look for a devotion on how to fix your heart in 10 easy steps. It's going to be to go to Amazon and order a book on how to be, have a clean heart in your life. It's going to be to go to iTunes and search for a sermon on the clean heart. And what we're doing... It, we have right motives, but we're seeking the we're seeking devotions to fix our heart. We're seeking books to fix our heart. We're seeking preachers to fix our heart, and they cannot. They will fail you. They cannot. Only God can create a clean heart in you. So do not seek devotions. Do not seek sermons. Do not seek books. Seek the Lord Himself. Yeah. For only He can cleanse your heart. Seek the Lord. And live. That's what God said through Amos. That's what God says to us today. Now the warning signs. They could be telling us that we do not know Jesus as our Savior. It is entirely possible. All of these warning signs are going off in our hearts. Because we have never truly repented of our sins. And believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. The answer is still to seek the Lord. We seek Him in repentance. We seek Him in faith, repentance is a change of mind about God and sin resulting in a change of life. It is realizing God is right. Legalism is bad. 
God is right. Hypocrisy is bad. God is right. Selfishness is bad. God is right. Sin is wrong. And once we realize God is right and we are wrong, we turn to Jesus. And we turn to Jesus believing. But we don't just believe there was a guy named Jesus who lived and died and rose again. That is not saving faith. It is to believe that Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again. And our only hope for salvation comes through Him. It is to say, my legalism cannot save me. And my stopping being legalistic will not save me. My hypocrisy and appearing righteous will not save me, but being open about my hypocrisy also will not save me. My selfishness will not save me, but neither will me suddenly becoming selfless save me. My sin will not save me, but neither will me turning over a new leaf and suddenly striving for holiness save me. Only Jesus saves me. And in that moment of belief, we let go of our self-righteousness. We let go of our self-sufficiency. And we hold up to Jesus to lift us up out of the muck and the mire of our sin, our legalism, our hypocrisy, our selfishness, and to save us. And from that moment on, our belief is we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. And then we begin to give Him all the glory for our lives. That we boast in anything, we boast only in the Lord. Now maybe though, you have repented. And you have believed and you have determined to follow Jesus. But still, the warning lights have gone off today. And it's revealing heart problems in your life. It could be that you're drifting from Jesus. Any of us could drift in the right set of circumstances. None of us are immune to that. It could be our hearts are hardening toward Jesus. Any of us could give in to the right set of circumstances and begin to harden our hearts or allow our hearts to harden. could just mean things aren't as they should be in our relationship with Jesus. Any of us can have that happen. So whichever one of these it is, you need to repent, believe, and be saved. Or you just need to, to seek the Lord and recommit your life to Him. If the, if the message of God's Word, not, not my words, goodness gracious, not my words, God's Word has shown legalism, hypocrisy, selfishness, or sin in your heart today. Take it seriously. Do not pass it off. Do not push it away. Let God do His work in your life and seek Him and He will cleanse your heart. He will give your, uh, renew your spirit and He will pull you along the best path for your life. I know we're past time. But don't let that interrupt what God wants to do in you, through you, and for you today. None of us are going to die if we don't get to the if we don't get to the buffet ahead of the Methodists. We're going to be okay. Seek the Lord. Prioritize the Lord in this moment. Let's stand.